0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. On January 30th, 1649, King Charles Stuart, defeated at last after long years of civil war against his parliament and its Puritan supporters, ascended the scaffold. He delivered a short speech to the gathered onlookers, saying that he was trading his earthly crown for a heavenly crown. When he finished, he committed himself to God's mercy and knelt before the execution block. There, by order of Parliament, his head was struck off. The king was dead, and no king reigned in his place. The kingdom became a commonwealth, brutally overseen by Oliver Cromwell, who was general of the parliamentary forces. Anglican religion was suppressed. The prayer book, ordinations to the diaconate and priesthood, and even the celebration of Christmas were outlawed. In the Cromwell's decade of tyranny, however, the memory of the martyred king was kept sacred by the faithful, a watchword against the darkness of the days. Handkerchiefs dipped in the king's blood were cherished as precious relics. At least one case was documented of a woman healed of blindness by contact with such a relic a book of devotions reputedly written by the king was printed and circulated illegally, as were woodcuts of the king in prayer, casting aside his crown of state and receiving one of thorns from heaven. When the monarchy was restored in 1660, the Church of England was reestablished, and January 30th was soon declared a national holy day, a day of penitence for the murder of the king, and of celebration that God had given England another martyr. Now, as Americans, we really might be excused for feeling a little bit removed from this history. After all, only Anglicans of all Americans could be th- uh, conceivably give Charles the time of day. And January 30th has not been retained as a holiday in any American Anglican prayer book, including the 1928. That whole 1776 business has made it all just a little bit awkward. Our national political tradition is premised on the rejection of the English monarchy and the established church. And enshrined in our founding document is the principle that under the right circumstances, citizens have a sacred right, even a duty, to act for the dissolution of a government and the establishment of a new one, exactly what Cromwell was about. For some Americans, rebel is in fact a good word. For us americans then to commemorate the martyred charles stewart may seem at the mildest an expression of bbc religion christianity for americans who cannot get enough masterpiece theater at its most extreme it might seem as a reactionary political gesture a rejection of all that is distinctively american in political life what i would suggest to you this evening however is that charles is a martyr of the church and as such He commands our attention and even veneration. The full importance of his death is revealed when we consider the purpose of his death. Even up to the end, Charles could have kept his life and even his earthly crown if only he had agreed to the ultimate demand of his enemies, that he alter the order of the English church by abolishing the house of bishops and reordering the church along a less authoritarian or hierarchical model. Big deal, right? Yes, in fact, to Charles, a very big deal. Charles, like his spiritual teachers, the bishops Lancelot Andrews, John Cousins, and William Laud, and the deacon Nicholas Ferrar, was convinced that the bishops, the episcopate, were essential to the life of the Church as such. There was a living historical link between the Church in England and the Lord Jesus in Palestine. That link was the episcopacy, the fragile, imperfect, often very stupid men consecrated to stand in the line and fellowship of the apostles, through whom the word and sacraments of God were communicated to God's people. It is difficult for us in our modern perspectives to understand why Charles should choose death over the legal uh, support for such an institution. Does God really need the episcopate to minister to his people? Can we not, simply by an act of the will, obey God and worship Him, each in our own way? This notion that God has established and still works through particular institutions wounds modern sensibilities, just as it offended the rebels who had sought the king's life. Ultimately, though, we have to think about the church as a living body in union with her head. The church is not a mere association of individuals like a club. Rather, think of how scripture depicts the church as the new creation, born of a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit of God to the apostles, the patriarchs of the true Israel. The bishops who ministered in the line of the apostles were, to be sure, men and prone to miserable failure, but they were the ministers of fire. Sometimes, like Hophni and Phinehas They brought them on themselves damnation through their abuse of the sacramental office bestowed on them some like zadok and zachariah were faithful ministers and stewards of the mysteries of god but all good and bad were ministers of fire through them the holy spirit ordained priests and deacons to baptize to preach and to celebrate the holy mysteries of the eucharist and without them The church might dissolve into a mere cluster of sects, each with its own self appointed apostles and its own interpretation of God's revealed will. And indeed, this is what happened in Cromwell's England. Now, does God not love and cherish and listen to the prayers of those who worship Him outside the apostolic church? Absolutely. Yes, He does. They are all His people. But it is not God's will that his people should live in division. Rather, as in the prayer of our Lord, let us pray that all be one. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. So the death of a martyr, to paraphrase T.S. Eliot, is the will of God and never the will of men. God willed to breathe his spirit on the apostles and their successors. And in obedience to that will, Charles surrendered his crown and his life. God wills today that his people be one. Let that be our prayer as well. I am encouraged that Charles will be commemorated over the next few days, not only by Anglicans, but also by some members of the Orthodox and Roman Communions. A martyr brings God's people together. Therefore, let us remember Charles.